This is Space Cats Peace Turtles, the unofficial podcast for Fantasy Flight's Twilight Imperium. Episode 27, First Round Strategy Guides, The Embers of Muat. Music by Ben Prunty, featuring Matt Martins and Hunter Donaldson. I've got a another Intro first round strategy you. guide for you. Oompa loompa. Yeah, clap right next day. to the microphone. What do you get when you gobble down? Uh, this is hilarious. I really hate it. Um, <laughs> they do look a little bit like oompa loompas, but um, the embers not enough. Do. Yeah, they do. They just have a. I always okay. You know what it is? Actually, they don't look like anything like Oompa Loompas. But for some reason, I did get it in my head that they look like that they look like Oompa Loompas. And then I'll look back at them and be like, "Wait, where did I get that?" <laughs> and then I imagine like that all their war set is just. So are we? Like, are we just coming up with our new what our new Muat? Ca- we we oh have a tendency yeah, of having little right. characters, you're right. and so we just decided that Muat. Yeah, I'm are... sorry. I, I'm sorry. We're not pitching it to you in like a really funny way, but like I have always, for some just reason, decided that they're the. Oompa well, Loompas. I didn't. No, I didn't decide. Like it was like something that happened in my. You saw like, it. I think the first time I saw their race mm-hmm. like a long. I'm going way back with yeah. the, with this idea. It's because they had the orange pieces. We always use them as orange pieces. So they were so always little or- and it's Oompa Loompa orange, little carrot boys. So yeah, I mean, if you play men, sorry, little carrot men, carrot men. Yeah, if you play embers and you're like. You know, we just gave you your battle song. Here's your battle. Oh my God, that's your battle theme. And you know, those war sons is just a bunch of Oompa Loompas in there working their magic. Yeah. And also, you know, Oompa Loompas are, you know, short and stumpy, and that's sort <laughs> that's of sort of what you're doing. The play style, Hunter. We haven't even introduced this podcast. Hi, I'm Matt Martins. Hi, I'm. I thought I was Matt. I'm Hunter Donaldson. And I'm Matt Martins. Ooh, tricky. Uh, First time listeners. <laughs> don't get it. Have um, it. So let's talk a little bit about the stream game that we had. Let's talk about the stream we game. We had a stream game uh, that you can watch on YouTube yeah. uh, with a really clever, sweet title called SCPT April 7th Game. Yeah. Play, watch. Yeah. Um, Super clever title, Matt. It's about an hour and a half before the game starts because I started the stream despite the fact that Hunter wasn't there yet. And it took Hunter an hour and a half to get there. Yeah, guys, I am uh, a just a poor server boy by day. And I, uh, if you want to come down to Zoigel House Brewing Company <laughs> uh, Friday through Sunday. You can make him late to Twilight Imperium can, games. Yeah, yeah, you can make me late to Twilight Imperium <laughs> games um, and, you know, tip me fat. Yeah, because um, I'm just there by myself these days. So we're, we're going to jump into this Muat guide in a second, but we want to talk about this game. And more importantly, I want to take you back to a time when we played good races and the guides that we were working on were for races that were fun to play. Yeah. Have you guys noticed the slowdown? Yeah. Like, have you guys noticed, like, if you go back to when we first started doing the first race, it's like, boom, 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 boom. boom, boom. boom. Oh, yeah. There, there's been a significant slowdown in our ability to do these guides. And I want to say... That pretty much ends today. It ends now because we tackled the two hardest ones for us for us yeah. to work on. Well, you know, I would say the Sardak Nor one took me 
took a lot out of sure, me but well. we had some wiggle room. But but this time we we had gotten up against it. We hadn't been getting as many games, and we finally played. Hunter played three games of Muwat to get this guide ready. I played three and a half games of Winu mm-hmm. to to get where we're definitely doing Winu next week. Mm-hmm. There's not going to be any sort of like petering out again. It'll be Muwat and then Winu, and that's the big hurdle we've been trying to get over. And from there. We're pretty much able to do the rest of the strategy guides without too much delay. Yeah, I would say at this point, we're sort of, you know, if it's like a season of a TV show, yeah. we're past the halfway point, and now we're like already starting to advertise like the finale. Yeah. You know, yeah. we're not the finale of the show, I just mean of this season of, this, of the of show. This season. Of the first round of strategy guides, which have been a huge mistake. You know what I mean? <laughs> like. <laughs> Just, uh, just us asking ourselves to be like to create a time capsule yeah. of our wrong thing. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. in a year from now, all of these episodes are useless. But hopefully, they'll announce an expansion and we can do it. We can all just talk over about that. Again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What is the new Muats first yeah, round? The strategy? new Muats. How about let's let's try and call all these races again too early to call. Them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Hunter, let's let's jump in. What uh. What kind of race besides Oompa Loompas? What are the what is the Muat? The Embers of Muat? Um, well, Matt really likes to use the term glass cannon to describe them, and I'm gonna describe them more as like a glass like um war sun. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, I'm not gonna use glass cannon, but we will describe them as a glass war sun. Or uh, an egg basket, big I think, is basket. a big basket of eggs. Um, this would have been, been a good Easter episode. Yeah. We missed that. Oh, well. This would have been a really good Easter episode. So they are egg-shaped, mm-hmm. and Looking that's right kind of with the egg theme. They kind of have an egg. They're like metal eggs. Yeah. And they, they uh, don't... They're... I don't know. They look like if the robot from that movie Metropolis yeah. got... Fat. Real fat, like Job of the Hut plus <laughs> that that Metropolis robot. Ain't too and, much steak, and they're. I guess I think they have a lot of like history stuff with Story the Jolnar. They were slaves of the Jolnar. They're just proof that the Jolnar are a terrible, terrible yeah, uh, why, faction they're to like, play. They're the mean boys. Yeah, Jolnar are terrible, and the Embers of Muwat are, are proof of that. Um, their disposition is grim, and boy, howdy, isn't that? Oh man, and that's that really good. Yeah. That's on the nose. Um, so, so Hunter, what's why do we have all our eggs in in one basket? Uh, because your advantage is that you start with uh, War Sun, essentially, yeah. and there, are, you know, a lot of people like to think of it, it that there are other advantages that they have. But in my no. opinion, that's the that's the one. That's yeah. the big. And end. honestly, like part of especially in TI three, their balancing was like we have to hurt them in every other feasible way we can because we gave them War Suns to start with. Right. And in TI3, they wanted to, like, give all these abilities, but they had to give Muat a bunch of really weird, seemingly useless abilities because their ability is that they start with War Suns. Right. And so, you like, that's it. Like, that is your advantage, and that is what you have. So we have to kind of uh, consider them on a different standing than other races. I'm going to read the other abilities, but just keep in mind, again, these are sort of the least important part of your race. Right, right. The War Sun part is, is everything. Thing. Yeah. Um, so you have Starforge. As an action, spend one token from your strategy pool to place either two fighters or one destroyer from your reinforcements in a system that contains one or more of your War Suns. So it's sort of like Soul's ability, but worse. 
uh, Gashly physiology, your ships can move through supernovas. That's not stop in. That's if you've got a two-movement ship, which your war sun is not at the start of the game. But if you get some other two-movement ship, they can go through war suns. So, okay, cool. That's kind of fun. It's interesting that you can't, like, that... As Matt just noted, you can't actually use that ability nope. with your war side right. until you fix it. Yeah. Um, so their flagship is called the Inferno. Hey, I got that one. I pronounced that one correctly. You did it right. It was Yay. easy to, it was like a regular the word. Inferno. The Inferno. <laughs> the Infirmary. Um, the Inferno, uh, it's a very standard flagship uh, as far as stats go. Cost eight, uh, hits two on a five like so many of them do. Move one, capacity three. This is... Very vanilla, except for that it has an action, um, which is not vanilla. That's very different. Um, and the action is spend one token from your strategy pool to place one cruiser in this unit's system. So it's an extension of your Starforge ability. I'll say this much. I, I wouldn't call two on a five uh, like the vanilla. That's that's definitely as good as flagships get. The difference is you start with war suns that are three on three. Three on a three. So by comparison, two on a five is not especially useful. No. And it is the same price as two dreadnoughts, and I the ability's good, right? I mean that that is the that's the best deal for spend one strategy pool to get something that you pretty much can get. It's good, but um not to kind of give away where we're about to go here, I don't think that where we're going with this guide today yeah. is going to be recommending that like kind of star forge like build units in unexpected places right. and get them out kind of thing which i i do see people online talking about that um i tried that i tried yeah. that and yeah. it did not work very well for me and it was very very slow right. and difficult so let's, that is not uh, really the direction let's we're finish kind of introing these guys and then right. we'll talk a little bit about why we went with a strategy we did go with and why we didn't go with kind of many of the other strategies that exist. They also start with plasma scoring, which grants you an additional die on all bombardment and space cannon rolls, which there's not a better race that could start with plasma scoring. Yeah, it's a very, very you, good tech You now area. have four bombardment rolling on a three. That's amazing. I mean, from the get-go, you can dislodge anybody. You are, the, you are supreme uprooter. It's honestly even, like, playing them so much kind of brought me around mm -hmm. to how good plasma oh, scoring yeah. very, is as a very tech. Good. It's a very, very good yeah. tech. Uh, and you start with <laughs> a, a war sun. <laughs> and you start with two fighters, four infantry, and one space dock. So if we're counting it by 2C4I, you've got one really big C, and you've got your 4I. Yeah. Problem is... That's it. <laughs> One thing doesn't need to transport for infantry, so this is where your problem starts right. to come in. Your faction technology yeah, is go. Magamus Reactor. It's a two red requirement. Uh, your ships can move into supernova. So this is how you unlock the ability to finally just stop and get into supernova. It's important to note. Nobody else will ever be allowed to do that unless Necro gets a hold of this tech. So supernovas become like a safe haven for you. So that's fun. After one or more of your units use production in a system that either contains a war sun or is adjacent to a supernova, gain one trade good. Um, I really want to compare this to some other gain trade good abilities. This is the worst one. This, mm -hmm. this is a bad ability because compare this to SARS faction ability from the get-go every time they take a planet they get a trade good yeah this so so with sar you could get like six or seven trade goods around this ability absolute maximum will get you three trade goods around you have three space docks right you could activate each one of those from the get-go you have one space dock so usually it's only going to get you one trade good and then even then that space dock has to be adjacent to 
a supernova or your war sun has to be in it, which means your war sun isn't out doing things. Right, it's playing You're purely defensive. Killing purely defensive. So this ability, throughout the entire course of the game, I bet you're lucky to get three trade goods out of it. Yeah, it's... It's very hard to recommend this one. Uh, I think it's super situational. I think maybe you could find a reason for the move into yes. Supernova to be like... Adjacent to a neighbor. Right. It just depends. But we are not going to recommend it in this guide. And I can't really see anyone ever making like a very general or like broad recommendation yeah. for it. Uh, if you want to send us a situation where it helped you, I believe it exists. Yeah. Uh, I just haven't seen it. Their other faction tech is a unit upgrade. Uh, called Prototype War Sun 2. Um, it is a War Sun. It has the same War Sun ability. Other players' units in the system lose planetary shield. It has sustained damage. It's bombardment 3 on a 3. Uh, it costs 10, so it costs less, Two which less. is nice. And it moves on a 3, which is crazy. Very good. Very um, huge movement. Still hits 3 on a 3, and then capacity is 6 yeah. still. So the only changes are 2 cheaper and one and 2 more movement one more movement than a normal war sun. So you, yeah. you jump over the ability to have a two movement. It's awkward. War they sun. never really get they they never get the regular war right. sun, essentially. Um well anything else we want to talk about? Home system. We gotta do that. Yes. Right. So yeah. their home system is a four one. One yeah. planet, not not always a huge fan of it, but if you're only gonna have one planet in your home system, the least they can do is give you four resources. Yes, they gave you the four and that's that's something. That's at yeah. least that's better than you know, better than Arborek, better, better than, than Winu. Winu. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get into that next week. But um, but yeah, having four resources is nice because if you need to get attack, you can. Yeah, right. That that helps. It's, all right, let's. It's it's guide time. It's guide and time. I want to um, first of all, I want to be completely transparent um, with how much I played the Mua in preparation for this episode and how I did in those games. Uh, just because. I want you to know exactly like exactly what where we're coming where from. we're coming from. Right. So because um, you might hear our strategy and you might be like, but that didn't work for me at all. And like, I don't doubt that it probably didn't work for you because there's a lot of times where Muat's games just don't work. Right. They are one of these races where you're kind of gambling from the get go. Mm -hmm. uh, and so this is what we found to be the most consistent. This is what Hunter found to be the most consistent but there it's, are weaknesses still and it's and it's still probably not like it's not going to be the best way to go in every single game right but i feel like what we're trying to build is maybe like a very just the safest that we can imagine mm -hmm. strategy yes um so i played three games as mua i did not win any of them right um you can tune out now if you're like <laughs> okay done see you later yeah, goodbye not worth um, time. uh first game uh I scored seven points, mm -hmm. uh, was either tied for second or third or something. I was yeah. just like kind of in the herd. Yeah. Um, second game was the exact same story, seven points. I did try very different strategies every game. Last game, I was at eight, and I lost due to initiative number yes. to uh, Matt Martins, which is yes. a co-host of the show <laughs> Space Cats Peace Turtles. Barely, barely lost to me, and I barely, like it, it was it was purely initiative order timing thing, and that was all of it. It was actually in the stream, so if you want to watch yeah. that stream, you can actually just see that game that I played. Um, so let's talk about the things that I'm we're kind of not going to do first, yes. and then we can kind of get into it. Um, I'm not really going to be... I'm not too hard on their faction tech. I'm not really yeah. into either of them. Even their upgraded promise, or uh, even their upgraded War Sons. Uh, yeah. A lot of people will say, like, you got to go for that because the three movement is huge. And while, yes, the three movement is huge, what's the problem with... Checking all the way up to War Sun 2. 
it take it takes a lot of time and through some red tech that you don't really especially mm-hmm. need. You get a lot of useless tech, and you lost your advantage because I think we would classify Muat's advantage as an early game advantage. Yeah. So by, uh, by the mid to late game, people like okay. So War Sons are a really cool unit, right? And they hit hard, and they're effectively like just like a fleet in a unit. I mean, they're very yeah. powerful. Yeah, one Warson can decimate a fleet. Direct hit is the problem. Yeah. So direct hit is a very reliable action card for someone to have, um, which is why I'm going to recommend that you ha- always have a sabotage banked for it if yeah. you can ha- if you could do that. Which uh, I never did. I never yeah. had a single sabotage. That's pure luck to games. get one. So yeah. so yeah. that's that's hard to recommend within the frame of. But the point guide. the point to that is just to say if you do get a sabotage, do not spend it on anything besides someone else's direct hit. You save that for a direct hit and a direct hit alone. Um, I will also say their flagship uh, is. We're just gonna kind of leave that on the table. You know, there are games where you might build it and find it useful. I don't find it especially useful, which kind of transitions into this point. Um, I don't know if you should be spamming the spend command counters right. for units ability that uh, Embers has. Right. I think it's more effective as a stall in the late game, but it's not a great trade. I mean, I think if you have a war sun out there with no fighter screen because of something that happened, it had to take right. too many hits. Uh, maybe, but it is a it is a desperate gamble, and I overused it in my first game right. because I tried to make an argument that Embers is like a stall race. They're like they have Isarl type abilities yeah and i could not keep my command counter situation healthy enough you have a lot of needs yeah basically yeah um but let's get into our normal yes strategy what, what do you want to do with the embers of muat let's um, talk early game map placement yeah. we want uh as far as neighbors go we want uh two equidistant planets yeah. um basically in the equidistant positions you want there to be planets not junk or empty mm-hmm. space you would really prefer it if on both sides you had something that could be taken and held right um i ha- i did not get a lot of supernova shenanigans no um i know that some people have uh i it it is one tile so yeah. i mean that's the that's the whole thing you that holds pretty back low that, odds of yeah. that being by you right so as far as map placement and figuring with the supernova i don't know maybe have it in your brain yeah um if you could i, I don't know there's a couple situations we should probably talk about if the supernova is next to your home system for some reason that is the best case scenario for magmus reactor right obviously right you every time you build you will get some money yes okay. uh, which is cool uh, maybe not worth it but no. The other thing is if the supernova is next to your neighbor, that is a path that only you can go through, right. provided you've done your homework. I mean, right. none of, the supernova is interesting for embers, but it, none of it is a given. Right. Um, it's only one tile, and there are, there are homework things you have to do. Like we said earlier, the war sun cannot move through the supernova naturally. You have right. to get either gravity drive or you have to upgrade the war sun. Right. As far as tech specialties we're looking for, I think a blue tech specialty would be great. I think a red tech specialty would be yes. great. Um, I'm going to recommend like a couple different tech paths. Like I think I'm going to recommend more tech than you're probably going to get in any yeah. game. I just know there are some like really specific target tech that we want to go right. for. And the, and the red tech path is like a big... The qualifier being we aren't initially recommending upgrading your war sun. No. But there may there may still be games where the route is, okay, actually we should go ahead and go down red tech. I mean, I think if you have a red tech specialty planet, like there yeah, I could see uh you skipping mage and yeah. going for Duranium and then getting right. 
the, the War Sun the, tech. The argument against getting War Sun 2 is when you don't have a red tech specialty. Point. Right. If you have one, that just opened up that door a little bit for you. So, Hunter, what uh, what are the best strategy cards for you to take round one? I think that Muat gets a lot more out of Warfare than any other um, race. And yeah. I think I might get some flack for this recommendation, but... Um, I'm thinking about it more on a table or meta level. If Empress gets Warfare round one, they get to move forward with their War Sun and then move again with their War Sun. Right. And I think as far as the table's response to that, that is, that's where the advantage is. Because if you can move your War Sun out of your home system and then to, let's say, an equidistant planet, a planet that you would not, not normally have a natural right. claim to being in your home slice, well, that's probably yours for mm-hmm. at least the late game. And it's, and it's kind of just naturally yours. Yeah. Like, I found that I was, when I played Embers, I was able to build larger pie slices than normal yeah. because the war sun is a threatening presence right for pretty much reliably the first three to four rounds of the game yeah. like it just is so getting it out there and making it a presence is going to help you more in the long run and so uh what what else what you couldn't get warfare right you didn't go first you didn't get warfare right That's, what do you yeah, get exactly um Trade is a very good pick for War Sun or for I want I just want I to do call that every time I call them yeah. War Suns. I just call All them right, the War so, race. Yeah, trade is a really good pick for Embers because one of our like early game priorities is going to be building our second War Sun. Yeah. Um, all of the eggs are in one basket, right? We've already we've already said that. So the best thing that you can do for your strategy is build the second basket, mm-hmm. so that if for some reason you do lose your first War Sun, it is not a crushing defeat. And also remember, they have four commodities. So if you get trade out there, you maybe even. Like, you take an equidistant planet um, from your neighbor, and you're sort of putting a little bit of pressure on them. You could even just kind of curtail that into, let's be trade partners, yeah. depending on who, how who how that goes. That's how you get closer and closer right. to building that second war sum, which I think you could do by round two. Yeah. The interesting thing about Muat is you have this big threat, and we're going to be talking about this a lot, but you have this threat, and you should use that threat to become a good trade partner with someone. Right. Not in a domineering, like, do what I say or I'll crush you, because they can just as easily take out that war sun in a lot of cases. But you say, I've got this war sun here. It's towards you. I want to now trade with you. Whatever maybe that takes in some cases, like, become really good buddies with them and then say, if if you're my good buddy, I'll go send this war sun at other people. And, like, the two of you together can kind of really help each other out your your war sun is not there to just put threats on people right you have a lot of other things at your disposal so taking trade early can start establishing that relationship early mm-hmm. which is going to help you a lot in in the long run for sure right. anything else Any um, other strategy cards? tech i mean i got you kind of got to recommend tech yeah you get it um i do think i like warfare better than tech uh but I don't know, like, you could, if you have a blue uh, tech specialty planet in your mm-hmm. home slice, and then you diplo that, yeah. you're able to secondary diplo that, um, and then get gravity drive round one, That's that is nice. a very good round. I am definitely, I don't know if you can tell, I'm definitely in the gravity drive is the way to go, yeah. not war sun two. Yeah, you don't, need a, you don't need a three movement war sun, but you do need a two movement war sun, and gravity drive helps you do that. It, it ups your options so much being able to move that war sun two rather yeah. than one. So it's so, it's, you're so predictable when your right. war sun can only move one, right. basically. 
Um, okay, so secondaries. Let's let's kind of fly through these. These are pretty easy. What do you want to do? Um, if if you don't have warfare, you should definitely warfare secondary yep. and build a carrier and some extra ground forces or a right. carrier and some fighters. Okay. Um, and then use that to expand because you weren't able to warfare your war sun and expand twice. With okay. It. Um, the other one is I'd say tech. Yeah. Uh, if you did take warfare, you have kind of maybe some room. Yeah, to get to, that. to spend that Here, money. So on... here's the question I have within this part. Then is you've only got four guaranteed resources the goal is to get trade goods right you have four commodities you can potentially get those out there so hopefully you get more money so that you can build that carrier or whatever Mm -hmm. let's say you can't hunter Mm -hmm. what is your priority the tech or the units the tech the tech i think start getting blue tech get any mass or drive and and move honestly there was a thing i was debating kind of throwing out as like a platitude about embers and muat and it has to do with the eggs in one basket thing your eggs are in one basket right so don't try and get your egg out of the basket lean into the basket yeah like your your whole thing is that you have a war sun and if you spend the early game just trying to like oh like i'm gonna just try and pump all my resources into have like basically playing like a regular race plus a war sun uh, I, I that never worked for me. Yeah. What worked for me is making getting to gravity drive, getting that war sun to a point where I was like, all right, I can actually. This is do a something. pretty fearsome yeah. like weapon that I have. Right. And you have to be careful about the activation. Then you have to be very specific when you decide what you're doing with that war sun that round. It's a big deal. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think like if you got in a situation where. Uh, you got warfare and you were going to secondary tech, that means you're not building any other units, right? right. Which is scary. Yeah. Depending on who your neighbors are, your home system might even get attacked right. round one. And you need to look for that. That is right. a weakness don't, that they have. Don't do that. Don't do the tech thing and leave yourself open if someone is breathing down your neck. Right. Then that's when you decide to build units instead, yeah. to build the carrier or whatever. But if you're able, get gravity drive as quickly as possible. Also, I could see a situation where, so like, let's let's theory craft for just a minute because this is a hard race. So we're gonna we're bringing up some pretty specific points, but yeah. this could happen. Let's say you got warfare, right? You want a tech secondary. You move out with your war son. You warfare your war son. Now you wait. You maybe use that stall. This is maybe mm-hmm. a very good example of an early game stall. You use that star forge ability yeah. to stall another turn so that you can make sure that it's going to be totally cool for you to move your war sun to somewhere else and tech that round. Yeah. I'll say this much in that same thought process. If you do get tech or like you don't get warfare, the big threat from people is, oh, warfare can stall people out. Well, you do have a stall. You right. have a way to not right. get stalled. Let's say you took tech and you just also let's you took tech or you took trade, especially mm-hmm. in that instance. If you're wanting to get both carriers and everything else, you can use some of your trade money. You can stall for fighters. You can get everything you want, right? Trade's right. a really good option for that exact purpose. You mm-hmm. could get three plus maybe even four more trade goods. You could get seven trade goods to have a pretty decent round one stall to use the secondary of warfare and do the secondary of tech that's about the best possible round one i could imagine yeah matt from the future i realized i was doing some bad mental math here obviously if you spend one token to stall you're not doing both warfare secondary and tech secondary but you can still build in your home system and get the units out there and that's what's important is defending your home system except for Having warfare and taking a killer equidistant system. Yeah. That's that's ideal. If, that, if, is, if, that is super If Baraglur to four is between you and your neighbor and you get there around one, that's killer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's also a magic Christmas land scenario where you build your second war sun round one. I did. We did theory sure. craft that out. At one that point we thought that was like the, the only ticket out, but no. we don't think that anymore. But you should look for that magic Christmas land of 
getting lots of trade goods. You have four resources. That means you only need eight more. You can kind of get an easy seven through trade. If there's a way to get more money, you can do it. Diplomacy yeah. would have to factor into that. It's a tricky thing. It exists. Getting the second war sun helps, but you shouldn't sacrifice everything to do that, maybe. An- another option I want to talk about before we move away from like early game strategy cards is uh, the idea of taking a command counter out of fleet pool with yes. warfare. Yeah. Don't forget that you can do that. Um, in every single game that I played, I took a command counter out of fleet pool early game because you have a lot of reasons to use command counters. And this is one of those things where... So it's sort of like with the Sardak Nor episode where we're saying like, there's a lot of stuff that you need to do and you can't focus on all of it, right? So here's what we are telling you to focus on. You notice I'm not recommending you get leadership. I'm not recommending mm-hmm. you focus on command counters. So that's going to be like your Achilles heel, basically. Right. So the reason I say take one out of fleet pool is because you're going to need that command counter early game. So don't do not do it willy-nilly, uh, but take one. Don't be afraid to take one out of it yeah. and take yourself down to two because you have a war sign. Yeah. So, like, you're good. first couple rounds, like, that's your fleet, man. Yeah. Like, you don't have to worry. You don't need extra fleet supply to protect your war sign. You just need to get some fighters on it, and the mm-hmm. capacity of six helps with that yeah. plenty. Yeah. So, you know, four fighters plus the fact that it's a war sign is usually enough. Yeah. Uh, so let's jump into some mid-game stuff, shall we? Yeah. Um, we have really great commodities. Mm-hmm. We should trade them, right? I mean, that's just it. Like, get a trading buddy. We kind of already established this, but, like, use those trade goods or those commodities a lot. Oh, for sure. And I think that Mua is kind of defined by the way that they negotiate on the table. Yeah. Um, a lot of people like to frequently call out... Yep that Mua is a scary race when you play as Mua. People are going to make you look like a scary bully. You're playing against that meta from the get-go. Right. And it is okay, actually, for them to be a little bit afraid of you. Yeah. It's just that they don't need to perceive you as an enemy. Right. So so that's why I say it's a really good... um, It's really good for Mua to expand to an equidistant planet uh, from your neighbor, because basically what you're looking for is to approach kind of a negotiating table in the mid-game. Yes. And you want to go ahead and already have a bigger slice right. uh, before that even happens. You take the big, you take a bigger slice, you take the equidistant planet, and you say, if I wanted to, I could go further. But I'm willing to be your trade buddy right. and stop here if you just let me have my bigger pie slice. Yeah. I won't get into yours. I'll only get into our shared space. And that's it. Turn what would be like a possibly hostile neighbor into a trade partner and get yeah. those four uh, get those four commodities out there. Um, and in general, this is kind of where when we're going to start talking about what kind of options Muat has at the negotiating table, and they've got kind of some amazing yeah. ones. We didn't. We actually skipped over this because we're idiots. Yeah. Well, I, you know what? I'm glad I'm okay. we did so we can just super, we can harp, harp on it on hardcore. It they have a promissory note, and it is the best promissory note in the game. Yeah, it's the we're best not promissory messing note up this game. week, yeah. guys. Fires of the Gashly, as an action, remove one token from the Muat player's fleet pool, which we kind of just established isn't... You gotta be careful. You, you gotta be careful, but like you might be able... That might be okay in most cases, because yeah. you're not going to typically have huge fleets. So they remove one from your fleet pool and return it to your reinforcements. Then... Gain War Sun Unit Upgrade Technology card, then return this card to the Muat player. So what you're doing is you are giving someone the War Sun Tech. Yeah, and the, as an action too. So it's like yes. a stall, yeah. basically. Yeah, for them to do. Yeah. So the prevailing thought, I think, when we first saw this was, oh my gosh, no, don't give that out. That's terrible. You, the, you're, and and I see, I continue to see this argument, and I I 
empathize with it because I used to think it. Your advantage is war son. Why would you give somebody else your basically only advantage, mm-hmm. right? What 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 reason do you have to hand out war sons when that's the only way you're doing well in this game? And here's the success. Here's why Fires of the Gashlight has a good success rate. War sons still cost twelve resources. Yeah. Yep. So if you hand out Fires of the Gashlight around one or two you're still not going to see that Warsun hit the table for a while. Because most races will not prioritize building their first Warsun over, like, a normal fleet that, like, most factions will need, right? There's there's no need for me to invest all my money in one Warsun. People only get Warsuns in the late game, when it's like, okay, now I need something to crush all the big fleets that are on the board. So... I think your early war sun advantage maintains through most of the early and mid game. Yeah, even if you give yes. out the promissory note or early, most people really have to like turn their whole game right around to like then build this war. And if anything, round. you want them to do that. Like it is ideal yeah. for you for people to like get so distracted by the idea of like oh, I can get war suns now. Like you can catch people off guard, and that's going to be a big thing we talk about with this promissory note later. It's just the idea that like it feels so huge to get it that people will like neglect the rest of their game. Right. And also, it takes some of the pressure off your yes, like specific exactly. war sun. Yeah, someone else having a war sun means you're not the only person with a war sun, so your war suns aren't as important to target anymore. Also, if you can trade it across the table, I'm not even really sure what you're at risk for. Yeah. If anything, you've just like hurt the other side hurt, of the table. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, Hunter, what are we trying to get for our promissory note? Man, there's so many different things. So, I to make it really simple, I think you should give out the prom. I think you should give it out frequently, but I think it should be for some very specific things. One, whatever you need to get a VP this round. I find And that means whatever. Whatever. Yeah. Like if that's a trade good, do that's it. gonna be the difference. Do Make it. sure get you it. will guaranteed get that victory point. Don't like right. you're not hedging your bets with your promissory right, note. Right. You are giving away Warstone technology to guarantee yourself a point. Right. Um the reason the reason I say this is that like it is very hard to play Muat and get like your fleet's up and running. Get your tech going well. And then also qualify for VPs. Yeah. It's like when we were talking about Sardak Noor and we yes. were like, hey, like you really got to just follow the VPs. This is like like that, basically. Yeah. Um, but the difference is their promissory note is just like, I've traded it for, at this point, probably three or four victory points yeah. uh, in various games, uh, which is huge for a promissory note to make that much of a difference. Right. Um, the other instance is as Muat, if you lose your war son, that's really bad. Especially you just if you lost haven't built your, your set. Yeah, it's it's bad. It's really really bad to lose your war son. And I have been fortunate enough to. I didn't have any games where I got shut down as Muat, but I have seen other players get yes. shut down as Muat, and that's what happened. Is they lost their war son early, and they didn't have their second one up. So I would say this: um, there is a battle calculator. Yeah. Uh, that Matt has been posting some places, and maybe we'll I'll post, try to post it, it somewhere. In this thread, yeah, yeah, it's very, very useful for Muat specifically because it's just so easy to pull out your thing and be like, okay, I have a war son and three fighters, and they have all these things, and bam, I did it. Here's all the odds. Here's all the odds. Um, if you're about to get in a fight that's bad odds for you, give just bribe, like, yeah. bribe them out of it. You before have, they activate that system, say if you don't activate that. Uh, what do you want? Here's right. here's Warson. You have like a support for the throne level note yeah. that doesn't give someone a VP. Right. Exactly. It's it and it 
so the first goal was you have something that gains you a VP or it saves your butt. And so, yeah, effectively, you have two support for the thrones, and Fires of the Gashlight is better than support for the throne in right. that regard. Because you, you are not giving away a point. You do have to be careful with the fleet pool thing, but like I said before, like, I I mean, I've even been down to one in my fleet supply. Yeah, right. And just been like, well, that one is my war sun. So, yeah. well. Yeah. And, and, and I want to, while we're talking about the promissory note, I want to say this is going to hurt the Muat in general, but as a player playing against Muat, you have to not allow yourself to get distracted by the idea of getting Fires of the Gashly from Muat. Sure, sure. Because you need to pay attention to how many resources you have and how many you're going to be willing to spend on a War Sun. Just getting that tech technically serves no purpose until you put the War Sun on the board. So whatever you're having to spend to get it, plus the 12 resources to get the War Sun, that's a huge cost. What are you not getting in favor of that? So basically, you're going to be tempted by Fires of the Gashlight, and you should try not to be. Because yeah. Muat is. Like, I don't know what you're doing right now. You're I'm doing hurting like the Muat. You're I know. hurting my, the guide. I'm hurting that the guide. But that's the point. So, I, so the guide's over. Matt cancels the guide. He's like, all right, well, I'm going to do some mid guide errata. Um, <laughs> no, I, I can maybe translate into something useful for Muat players. Um, thanks, Matt. Yeah. Uh, jerk. Uh, <laughs> Don't let the negotiation go too long. Just like just exactly. just throw it out there and try and make this happen really fast. It, it's it's a big carrot on a stick, basically. Yes. And keep someone... it keep it on the table because that's something you were doing and it yes. worked a lot. Because it's it's not just like only in the moments you need it. Like always keep that idea out there because at some point someone might forget their other stuff and they'll jump at the opportunity to get it and that's where it screws up things for them. Like you I gotta announced be constantly... every game I announced early that I was interested and willing to sell yes. my the War Sun right. tech. Basically. And you would remind people like every round. Yeah. Like every time something was happening it's just like don't forget I've got this War Sun tech and it can be yours. Encourage people to make you offers for it um, yeah. and yeah and get and get good get good stuff for it. Get yeah. VPs for it. Uh, let's talk about tech. Let's talk about Oof. mid-game tech path. A lot of different stuff. There's a lot of stuff going on. So we the, the first goal was gravity drive right that's just like got have to have to have to yeah, get gravity I, drive. I just feel like once you get gravity drive it, it doesn't take too long to get there right. um and it it's you can feasibly get there in a round you could get there right. by round two the, like it's the reason people recommend prototype war sun 2 is because it fixes the problem with your first war but it sun. sort of over fixes it over fixes it. it and gravity drive just fixes it yeah so all you need is gravity drive so hunter what are we what are we aiming for after gravity drive um, well, we want to make sure that we can satisfy two tech in two different colors. Sure. Um, the colors that I'm going to talk about are all blue, red, or yellow. Uh, we could not really find a very good argument to go down green. Yeah. Uh, the reason is this. PDS2 is actually a really interesting unit upgrade for Muat. Yeah. And throwing down PDS is a very easy and non-fleet supply way right. to, to, defend, your to defend your war signs. And if you think about, too, like we said earlier, if, if really your primary fleet's you know, are just like a war sun and some fighters and then another war sun and fighters. That's a lot of space in between with just like nothing there. Yeah. So yeah. you have huge incentive to have those two war suns and do a lot of work with them. And the time you're spending not putting fleets is getting construction and putting down PDS yeah. in, in opportune places that protect the rest of your pie slice. I'm going to talk about my ideal early to mid game tech path real quick, just so that people understand exactly where I'm, where I'm coming from. Um, my ideal situation would be that 
two tech in two different colors, that victory point does not come out in the first round. So that doesn't happen, right? So then we go blue. We go straight for gravity drive. Maybe we have to get anti-mass, whatever. Um, That's okay. You get anti-mass, you get gravity drive, and then you hop over to yellow. You get Sarween, and you get Graviton Laser Systems. You throw down PDS2. You have a PDS network, and that's just great yeah. like that's really you, great don't don't forget that sometimes getting pds2 before graviton is going to help i mean graviton doesn't do anything for you if you don't have useful right. pds's and if the two tech two colors the only reason we say to uh, get graviton first is because a lot of times two tech two colors is out get that second yellow get be done with it but otherwise yes definitely get pds2 and get graviton after yeah but what's also your, two two unit upgrade what's might your come second out too. what's your second unit upgrade Second unit upgrade, uh, what, whatever. You qualify for carrier two. You could two. get carrier two. You could even, depending on how, if you had to go red instead of yellow or, yeah. God forbid, red instead of blue. I really right. feel like grab drive is necessary. Um, you could go after destroyer two just for the point. Right. Ugh. But a lot of people, we didn't go down this path, but a lot of people recommend getting, um, you get neural motivator. If you've already got a red and a yellow, you can now get cruiser two. Your flagship pumps out cruisers. We didn't want to go with this because being able to pump out three movement cruisers from anywhere doesn't seem that useful. They're already three movement cruisers. They can come from your uh, space stock, and it's not a big deal. So we didn't think this path was worth investing in. But if you have time, getting cruiser two isn't a terrible thing to kind of like help the fact that your war suns aren't getting in other places. Your cruisers can get in some places that your war sons can't it's an it's an alternate path and i it's think a, the it's thing, a win more path too right. it's a, you're not doing it in a game that you're going to normally be in which is where you're up against it <laughs> yeah i think uh with this guide we're we're very specifically taking the slant of being like we're not going to fix our command counter problem we're going to try and manage it yes. and get other things under control right so that that whole build the flagship and pump out cruiser bit that's not a bit that we're help. doing in this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's, it's not really helping us with our goals right now. Um, in the mid to late game, you can then swing back into prioritizing sure. command counters, uh, which can get kind of dicey because there are lots of command counter um, victory points that might come out right. that are, yeah. It can, that part can be really hard. Honestly, CCs are where Muat, it's kind of the Achilles heel of the, yeah. the whole so, setup. So, Hunter, you keep saying that. Why are CCs, why are we running out of CCs? What are we doing with our command counters? What's what's happening early game with all of our command counters? Because, I'm, because I'm just recommending that you not prioritize leadership it's just Mm -hmm. it's just that you have so many things that you need to do yeah and cc's just seem like one too one too many things to recommend you fix that too it's like you know when a house is on fire like you have you wait this isn't a good i don't know (laughs) you want your house to be on fire it is on fire so your house is on fire and it's a war sun and and, and that's the analogy here yes and you want to burn the certain parts of the house first you know what i mean yeah that's what it (laughs) is is. so we're an arsonist i've got it now so so we're an arsonist and we're setting this house on fire right we want to burn the kitchen right because we got that gas stove in there that's gonna blow that's gonna do way more damage so we're taking that as a priority whereas the command counters is like the chimney yeah right yeah it's not it's gonna burn last. You know? It's gonna be high. Why would it'll you be start? left standing after the fact, dude. If you started with the chimney, it would yeah. just stay in the chimney. Yeah. And so all that is to say, too, like we kind of continue the idea of like we're not using Starforge that often into the yeah. mid game, uh, because you you again you're just you shouldn't be wasting your command counters because you need to be careful because if you run out of command counters because you just decided to stall with Starforge a few times, 
that's going to probably hurt you more in the long run because then, then there's going to be like one activation you can't send your war sun to do right when you need it. Right. Your war suns need to be like always at the ready to attack whatever planet you need to get. Okay, Hunter. What what went wrong? What went wrong in round one and how do we fix it? There's a lot of things that can let's, go wrong. Let's get the one thing out of the way. Yes, you could lose your war sun. That's tragic. Okay. How do you fix it is you, you flail and you hope to somehow get money from other players. No, 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 no. I how you fix it, and that's kind of the whole the whole thing with me being like, don't worry about command counters. Try and focus on other things. Is you are you're a trade and a negotiator, right? So you shouldn't you, lose the war. So. Well, you shouldn't lose it in the first place, but for some reason you do lose it. You have to trade your way back into getting a war right. sun and getting back up there. Yeah. So this is we're not. If you lose your war sun, hang in there. Do right. it. You have a great Start promissory note. Get throw it out there. Maybe throw it out there a couple times. Yeah. Whatever. Get every, everybody has war sun now. Whatever you got to do right. to get yourself back in the game. Yeah. Uh, okay. So what else? What what kind of like more specific kind of nuanced ways could your round one go bad well just i mean i do want to reiterate that your home system will more than likely be vulnerable round yes. one um you have a war sun but you have to move it right like yeah. you can't just like let it sit at home um i don't know yeah like taking t- the trade strategy card and trying to get as many uh trade goods as possible uh getting that seven basically three yes. for the card four for your commodities yeah. Uh, hopefully, throwing in a few more planets to get your second War Sun. Yeah. Like that's you really want to get your second War Sun round two. If yeah. You can, if, if you, you can, can make it, it happen, if you can make second War Sun happen round two, I think that's the most ideal. Situation. If you can get to Gravity Drive and second War Sun as soon as possible, you might be okay. Think about yeah. Think about how versatile that pie slice is now. We've got two War Suns. Uh, we have they can move on a two. Mm-hmm. We have like we probably have low fleet supply, but whatever. We're really just depending on those. We're leaning on the war yeah. sun really, really heavy right. early to mid game. Right. And then hopefully swinging back. Okay. So because we have these war suns, who do we counter? I think kind of the, really the people that focus on ground forces. Yeah. Uh, you've got a lot of bombardment with plasma scoring. You have four. A lot three. of really good bombardment. And, and this, to heart back on that battle calculator, this is just something we recently found and it has been incredibly helpful realizing the math of like a 1v1 ground combat if you're trying to take a planet it's incredibly hard to take planets yeah statistically speaking you you are really hope you know going on a wing and a prayer uh, that's not the phrase all right you're really hoping <laughs> against hope that you can take a planet um and so bombardment becomes a huge deal and you have the best bombardment in the game and you start with it you start with four on a three right so those soul, races that want to get out take a planet and hold it quickly which was our entire suggestion for the soul strategy you can if you decide to act as an anti-soul yeah you can just crush them before they get huge stacks of guys on planets like you can they come and they try to take that equidistant system first off they're not going to if you're their neighbor right they're going to go the other direction yeah because they're... they know that you're going to crush them so for the most part you're kind of a soul deterrent mm-hmm. but if also soul goes for that big mechatol play you'll notice we haven't ever recommended you be the mechatol faction you don't you can't afford that second target on your back right basically. but you can be the person who steps in when soul or someone else takes mechatol and you guys you can be like you guys want this dealt with? I'll take some trade goods from everybody if they want me to just go ahead and wipe them off the off the mechatol. I actually think that's a huge play for the table too. If you're at the table and Soul 
does there and and whoever you should know how big of a deal that is right you should know how big of a deal that is so let's say like you've got this real smart person that listened to space cats peace (laughs) turtles the soul strategy guide and they're like i'm gonna go for mechatol and stack ground forces there pay muat to remove them there's no i I can't even think of any other race that could early game remove soul if the other four players at the table all say we will each give you two trade goods muat to remove soul from mechatol everybody's benefiting from that everyone spent very little muat gained a lot and you took out what will be a game winning strategy seriously i I actually, this is one of the only times I think we've recommended a strategy like this. Yeah. If you are not Sol or Mua and you are at that table and Sol is doing that, support Mua in making yes. that happen. I don't, think it's don't your, just be like, you need to do it anyways, because they don't. They don't need to take right. Mechatol. Right. They are already struggling. So th- to them, removing a problem from the table isn't useful unless they can get something out of it, and you should be willing to pay them. Yeah. Um, Who else do we hurt? Arborek. Arborek. I think you even hurt Arborek a little more solidly than Sol. It's just juicier to bring up Sol first. Arborek, I think, really struggles with the idea of, like, they have, like, kind of a slower game start, and then, like, Muat has this, like, pretty much Arborek killing machine. Right. I would say if you are starting next to Arborek as Muat, just get pressure them. Go hard on them. Yeah. Don't uh, let them have a fun time. You wrote down Sardak Nor, and I think yeah. people are going to have a hard time understanding your reasoning. So well, break it down. It's kind of specific, but I just feel like Sardak gets a lot out of that uh, infantry advantage. And because of your bombardment, and really just because War Sons are so strong early game, and Sardak has such a slow early game start... I, I don't feel particularly afraid of Sardak. And I actually feel like you could push them around a little yeah. bit early to mid-game. I you just need know to do it, it early is the big yeah. thing. Because, yes, yeah. okay, the argument is they're going to get super dreadnoughts, and those are designed to destroy, to destroy War Sons. But, like we talked so much about in the Sardak episode, it actually takes quite a lot for Sardak to get to their super dreadnoughts. Right. They start with nothing, and they need to get four techs to get up to that point. I'm, I'm so you have a, you have a timing window to hurt them very badly. Yeah, and I I would encourage you to do that. I guess I guess really the only reason I put them down there is I feel like if I was sitting next to a Sardak, I would be like, this is my target. Like yeah. we are especially the more you hurt them early, the more you slow down their ability to get super dreadnoughts. Right. If you're taking planets from them, they're not they're never going to get super. But let me too. just go ahead and like be crystal clear. I don't even really think that Embers is a late game like counter to anyone no, you're an early game race direct hit really hurts yeah you. when people like, have anytime people have hands of action cards you are now in trouble yeah and so you have like three rounds to do some work um you wrote down winu matt if you want to explain yes. why you feel like um as a, a winu player mm-hmm. the, the winu player wants to take mechatol if your war son is anywhere close to mechatol they are 100% terrified of yeah. you. And a big part of my winu strategy is going to be getting there and getting a bunch of ground forces down. And if all it takes is for you to come over and do a single bombardment to ruin that whole strategy, winu is looking for as many ways as possible to have that sentence not happen to them. Oh, an easy way for me to ruin winu's strategy. That's what Muat has. And so, if anything, you are sort of... Yeah, don't forget War Sun disables planetary shield. Yeah. So when Winu gets that free PDF doesn't on Mechatol, it does not right. matter. To so the they're terrified of you. Again, you probably don't have a huge amount of incentive, but if the table wanted to pay you to take out Winu on Mechatol, you're going to 100% crush Winu. They're done. And 
it didn't cost you that much of anything, you gained something from it. You probably gained some trade goods if people yeah. are willing. Muat players get the table to pay you to dislodge someone from Mechatol. Because sure. it's I could not make an argument for you to rush for Mechatol. It seems no. way too risky. Some people are gonna like write in and say, like, oh, I did that and that worked, and that's great. But I can't I don't, it doesn't feel like the safest play. You already have a target on your back, or people are going to try to say you have a target on your back. People will say they're afraid of your war suns, and if you put those war suns in the middle of the map on the best planet, mm -hmm. you're asking for trouble. And also, I can't recommend it because we're not recommending this like command counter like angle right. on Muat, and I feel like the command counter angle is kind of the only one where like, you oh, okay, Mechatol. you could go to Mechatol. But see, the problem there, the reason I couldn't do that too, is like, what am I going to tell you that you have to get to grab drive, build a second war sun, and go to Mechatol? That's too many things. Yes. If you go to the Soul episode, I recommend Mechatol because it's like, all right. Do one thing, then do it. Like, yes. get grab drive, then right. go. Like, that's, that's what we're trying simple, to do with strategy. That's a simple strategy yeah. recommendation. Okay, so who counters us? First and foremost, we just talked about it. Isarl Tribes. Direct hit counters us, and Isarl Tribes are guaranteed to have it. I actually think Isarl Tribes might be the best counter to... Yeah, they have mobility, so they can strike at your war sun whenever they want, mm -hmm. basically. They, they can just decide to do it at some point. And they're almost guaranteed to have a direct hit. So your War Sun is dead if Ysarl decides to come yeah. at it. Yeah. It just is. Which is why you need that sabotage. But you know what? Ysarl might have two direct hits. Right. I mean, if I'm, an, if I'm a Ysarl and Muad is in the game, I will always bank some direct hits. Like, why wouldn't you? Mm -hmm. It's You have infinite cards. That's got, You will never turn away a direct hit when yeah. you have to throw away a card. Uh, who else? Extra. Why? Uh, because PDS network plus graviton laser system equals a death sentence. Yeah, or their flagship equals you don't get to use your fighter screens. Right, basically. Yeah, you need your fighter screens, and you need to score three hits with your war sun. Like that's where the power comes in. So if people get to take you out before combat, you're that's a really big problem for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it's very much a counter to the the way that we're even recommending yes. you play Muat. Yeah. Um, Yin Brotherhood. Definitely. Maybe the most obvious one. Right. And definitely the one that I think, I think, um, not to be condescending, but I feel like people see this one a lot. Like if, like if you even have a new player and you explain to them, this is the Yin, this is how they work, this is how Muat works, they're going to be like, oh, I think I just made a connection. Yeah, here. I like, get, <laughs> I, 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 you see the math equations above their head and it's like, uh, yes, the Yin have little ships that... I can that, destroy that. Yeah. <laughs> so it's there. I mean, there's, there's some struggle for it. I did this to a Muat in the game. I was devastated I, that Muat. Yeah, I devastated like, Muat. I'll say this for the Yin Brotherhood. It kind of devastated me too. Right. Both of us were out of that game. So I don't know that it's a winning strategy well, for you. Well, do Yin, the calculation properly. But exactly. Don't, don't I did it too, I did it too fast. I was I had a timing opportunity to attack Muwa and I decided I needed to jump on it and you I shouldn't have. could have done it around. I could have done it later. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, who else? L1Z1, um They've got that flagship. They get to ignore fighter, fighter screens. screens. Anybody that that we're very much recommending a kind of a classic like war sum with fighter screens approach. Yeah. Uh, so anybody that can ignore those fighter screens is, is a, problem. a problemo. Yeah. The um, Ghosts of Creus are another one you've written this down. This is a conditional one. Yes. This is early game. I feel like Ghosts of Creus can be a very scary neighbor yeah. because be, because you have all your eggs in one basket, you're very exploitable from races that are like super mobile. Yeah. So like any race that can get somewhere that would be really pesky or like mm -hmm. difficult for you uh matt there was one game where you threatened to activate my home yep, system as very ghosts. early game as ghost uh you didn't end up doing it because it w in fact really in that game we had more reason to be friends than yeah, enemies definitely. but it was hard for us to figure out how where we were at work. with that yeah. yeah it was it was difficult 
Um, but I but, could have easily done it. Yeah, he could have done it. And, and there's going to be games where the ghosts can easily do it and have no incentive not to. Right. And it's Even just like putting a down. destroyer there, yeah. if you just throw one destroyer in Muat's home system, they're crushed. Right. Because they're not going to get that second war sun out anytime soon. They have so, to yeah. turn around with their slow war sun and take their home system back. If anything, that's a little bit of a piece of ghost strategy for... Like, just kind of early be before we get nuisance. to the guide. Yeah, be a nuisance to other players early game. Um, we have an honorable mention that we want to talk about yeah. as far as... Is this a... This is... They counter us. This, they counter The Mentech sort of... We're not calling it, like, a hard counter or anything like that. But Mentech is someone you have some problems with. Uh, the big thing that I wanted to point out was their flagship has units in the system can't use sustained damage. But Hunter... I think rightfully said that's not a huge deal because you're already afraid of direct hit. Yeah, you're you already afraid of all these things. Right. You don't have enough other things blocking damage. So, like, honestly, the fact that a War Sun has sustained damage isn't even really helping you that much. Getting Duranium Armor on your War Sun doesn't even help you that much because direct hit is the biggest threat. Right. You're more scared of using that system. I mean, what? There was a there was a round of combat in one of the games we played yeah. where I was like, I had this fighter screen and I was taking hits on it and we were getting lower and lower and I was like, ah, if I sustain damage, I will make it to the next round of combat and right. win. And this was with the War Sun and I was like, well... I'm okay. gonna chance it, and I chance it, and direct hit, and I was yep. dead. And yeah. it, and it, it, I hate it. It's, it's I hate truly it. Truly terrible. The other thing too is we talked about pre-fire combat abilities. So Mentech have cruisers. Mentech might have lots of incentive to be like, hey, anyone want to give me two trade goods to send two cruisers at that war sun, and I'll I can th- just I'll, actually, you take know what? I will. I'll throw out a little olive branch here. I thought something just occurred to me about Mentech that is actually kind of scary. Uh, they are one of because I think we keep forgetting about this, but. There is a Mentech out there that goes for PDS. So Absolutely. the PDS Mentech is You're pretty really scary for them. all of the same reasons yep. that the extra is. Yeah. So it's just like a little less so than uh, extra. Really, I mean, at this point, I think we've gotten to a point with the counter section of the episodes where we're kind of like, we're doing a lot of free jazz yeah. with like, is it the race or is it like is it the, the unit thing? ability? So like, n- there's, a, I think, a world where we do this and the counters is direct hit and PDS exactly. too. Exactly. Like, we don't even need to talk about factions. We just talk about the things, the things that are good and but you it's can also, do the math. It's also fun too. Yeah. It's, it's, neither system is perfect and I think in this section we kind of just throw out what makes sense to right. us and we let the community fill in the gaps and yes. you guys always, always do. do. So Hunter, <laughs> what makes the Embers of Muat a superpower? Uh, War Sons. Adios. Good episode. But also, <laughs> yeah, right. But there is a much bigger deal. Right. I would say more so that promissory note. What we really tried to emphasize in this episode is that the strength of that Warsaw promissory note and the need for you as the Embers of Muat to negotiate with your fellow players and to be an honest player. This was something that someone uh, commented on the stream. I'm so sorry I don't remember Mm -hmm. the name of the person that did it. But they mentioned that, in their opinion, Muat has to be honest and yeah. open. Yeah. And I agree with that, but that's why I say it's so key to take a bigger pie slice early. Yep. You need to come to the negotiating table kind of already... Having what you need. Yeah. You're not looking to gain heavy. more, you're just looking to keep people off your back. Right. Yeah. Um, and I do think that this is a race that needs a buddy, that needs to... The meta has to work out for you. Uh, and luckily, you have a really good promissory note to help you with that. Yeah. And do not be afraid of it. Plan around it. This is another reason that you're going to lose CCs. We yes. gave up on the CC thing, right. guys. Right. Like, we I, gave up on it. I, it, it, is a, it is a strategy that you could try. Please tell us how it goes. 
and how often it goes that well. I feel like it's very hard to do the CC thing and do the other things that we talked about. And I think I just picked the things that make sense to me, which yep. is grab drive and putting this promissory yep. note out there. So let's close this thing out. Hunter Donaldson, where are we looking for our victory with the Embers of Muat? Clever, timely negotiation. Right. Getting basically focusing on VPs. Don't get don't get so greedy. Look at look at the VPs and follow them a la Sardak Noor. Yeah. Consider yourself kind of behind in this area and you need to really hyper focus on it. Luckily, in this way, I think you're in a little bit better position than Sardak yeah. because you just have your war son as that leverage and you right. need to use that war son to basically make up for all of the shortcomings yeah. that you have as a race in other ways yeah. and you need to use it in a meta way you need to use it off the table i'm n you notice there wasn't a lot of talk of use your war son to crush the puny other fleets right it's it becomes a tie basically yeah it's you, you make an enemy and they stop at nothing to take out that war son. right and then they get direct hit and they what they do easily right and then it's you, done. so in that way it's almost similar to the soul thing which is just like get what you need as quickly as possible and hold it. Right. Don't you're not you don't need you don't need three movement war sons because you're not looking to jump out and take crazy victory points no one was expecting. You need to play a solid game inside your pie slice, which you've made bigger than a normal pie yeah. slice. Yeah. Your other big resource at your disposal is your war your war son promissory note. Right. You you have two huge bargaining chips and you are looking to use them to every advantage you can possibly get from them. Mm -hmm. So big slice Protected by a war sun, protected by a PDS network, if possible. I yep. mean, I did that every every game I played. I felt yep. like that made sense. So PDS network, big slice, negotiate with the rest of the table. Throw that promissory note out there for at least one VP right. per game. Yeah, and maybe maybe you'll do it. Right. Maybe you. But will you'll probably win it. get to eight points or seven points and just not quite <sighs> clinch it. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's where I was, and I think if I'd kept playing Muat, I think this guide could have been probably just this really basically the same i just would have been like okay it did work it did work time. one time yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> all um, right let's let's do some errata for yeah, the last two episodes we combine these together not just because we got behind on them but because these this errata that we're about to do the, they are two topics that are very tied together so let's jump into the errata yeah Yeah, let's do it. Hey, what's up? This is the podcast, uh, Space Cats, Peace Turtles, Errata. It is a podcast within a podcast hosted by Hunter Donaldson, featuring <laughs> our frequent guest and hardly collaborator, Matt Martins. <laughs> he just hangs out. I'm doing all the work. What up, babies? This side of the podcast has a lot more zest, and we're going to do fun stuff, like talk about how dumb we are and how people know it. And they were like, hey, man, you dumb about this. All right, first one. <laughs> About etiquette and elimination. We're talking about two episodes it's ago. It's from Shake Signal. Oh my God, so <laughs> Shake Signal. They've got a quick note on secret objectives. The learn to play and the rules reference pretty clearly state that your secret objective must remain hidden until it is fulfilled. Quick thing. What is this in direct response to within our... We talked about the idea of players. Mm-hmm opting to basically give each other secret objectives hey i need to be next to your uh, home trading. system yes. and yeah. if you need to do this thing then we can work together and let me just tell you what that is and, uh, and what shake signals effectively saying is that this is not against strictly, the rules right this this is yeah. strictly against the rules well okay here is sort of the the issue with that and i'll, I'll just kind of read this off because i typed this up earlier the definition of remaining hidden is vague the ti3 ruling was if you reveal it it is lost 
But I actually thought that was a great rule, though, by the way. It kind of like, was, yeah. If you reveal your strategy or your secret objective, you do not get to have it anymore. Um, but this was not carried over to TI4. In TI3, lying about your secret objective isn't revealing, so neither should telling the truth about the card. This is kind of how our group ended up playing it, is the fact that, like, so long as you do not physically show the card to someone, anything else you say is is nothing. You're you're not revealing anything. So right. it is by definition of like the rules, there's nothing that like clearly states what you are and are not allowed to do. In TI4 it gets even weirder, but the end result is remaining hidden is only there to clarify that it is not required for action cards and secret objectives to stay face up in your play area like most of the other game components. It is separating these two components from the rest of the components saying you get these and they are hidden and they stay face down. That doesn't mean you can't talk about them and even to a certain extent Dane Beltrami himself has ruled you can show these cards to other players. Mm -hmm. So that's it. So to, to extend that any further, it becomes a house rule. I don't think there's any problem with a group of players deciding they don't like what that does to the game, and you could easily house rule that. But rules as written, you can show cards to anybody no matter what. And that's okay. coming from Dane Beltrami. So yeah. that's the only, for this week, that's the only errata that is like a sort of correction or question and answer. Everything from this point forward... Uh, we already did all of everything we can try to talk about with these two subjects. We did a lot of, you know, last week was a roundtable discussion on kingmaking. The week before that was just, like, discussing etiquette. Can I talk real quick before we get into everyone else's opinions? Uh, I feel like with... I, I'm really glad we did the roundtable episode. Yes. And it was very fun, and I'm really glad that you guys got to kind of meet Alex a little bit. I yeah. think you'll be hearing a lot from him, or hopefully a lot more from him as the show goes on yeah. here and there. Uh, one thing that I kind of wish had been better about it was we did not really, like, pre-interview mm -hmm. um, as far as figuring out, okay, well, where do you stand? Where do you stand? Where do you stand? Yeah. If it's going to be a round table, you want a lot of different perspectives. Right. And I actually feel like me and Alex saw eye to eye on a lot as we right. were going on, which is definitely not a knock against Alex. He's dope. Um, <laughs> but it's more of a... We I, went into that round table cold. Right. With no knowledge of even, like, I had a couple things written down that I knew I wanted to talk about, but we did not know where any of the points were going to go. Right. And so, yeah, to that end, there's a lot of stuff we missed. There's uh, perspectives we didn't get included. We were always going to miss perspectives. Absolutely. There's merely three people. But I I feel like next time you hear us try something like that again, which we will. Yeah, we love doing it, we and we want to do it. more. Um, I think you can expect that there will be more distinct perspectives at the table, and we're going to rig it next time. Yeah. Instead of being like, let's just see what happens, because we were just trying it out. I, my feeling is next time I want to have, you know, three or four, maybe even five people, and they all see it very differently. Right. And we just, it's just Hash like it rabid out. dogs right. and meat, and we're just like, Argh. all right. So getting back into etiquette, elimination, king-making, support for the throne. We're talking about everything kind of all at once. We're, we're leading with some elimination and etiquette stuff. Dropouts of Joel Nar from the Twilight Imperium subreddit That's says... That's a funny it name. It is a dope name. Uh, <laughs> I'm surprised you think it's bad etiquette to help each other score victory points. This is kind of in that same talk about secret objectives. I strongly disagree. We have a very experienced group of players, and we always help each other out. Being political and gaining something when you weren't going to receive anything to begin with not only is beneficial to yourself, but it also creates a great atmosphere with your playgroup. Although I could see your point of view if you're playing in a tournament setting and you want to actively prevent people from scoring VPs, but in my experience, home games flourish when people spend the first half of the game working together. That being said, all bets are off come turns five and six. He nibbles at comments. 
nibbled at this comment to say, I wholeheartedly <laughs> agree with you about point swapping. I do not see it as bad etiquette, but rather something that will earn you a target on your backs. So both of these people are talking about the idea that point swapping and, and kind of alliances in general, it's just all part of the game. And I think this is really the issue of this whole topic. And this is the running theme through both of these episodes and all of the Serata is lots of people play Twilight Imperium with lots of different reasons in mind. Yeah, or just and, different em- emotional yeah. states, basically. So for Hunter and I, we play to your second point, Dropouts of Jolnar, which is we play every game as though it's basically a tournament. I mean, we are, we are playing to score VPs. In our opinion, that is the point of the game. The point of the game is to win it, so you should play to win. And so... All bets being off come turn five or six, for us, it's all bets are off from the get-go. Right. And anything that happens, we we used to play that way. We used to play very actively with like, ooh, I'll trade you a secret objective for a secret objective. And we eventually realized that we enjoyed our games more when we didn't allow that. So we have to boil this one down to player preference. I mean, there's lots of yeah. groups that want to have a good time and not be at each other's throats, but there's a lot of groups that they play Twilight Imperium because they want to scream at each other, and that is what Hunter and I do. <laughs> <laughs> I like that I like that you started out kind of diverging, and then in the end you made it sound like how what we do is wrong. Yeah. <laughs> dropouts of Jolnar is a very normal human being. Um, it does come down to player preference. Uh, I just feel like... I want negotiation in the okay. All right. Uh, how about this? I'm gonna I'm gonna shed a little light. I think in a way instead of being like, oh, we're crazy people and we scream at each other. Yeah. I'm gonna try and justify our our spot a little okay. more. Um, I think the reason we got into Twilight Imperium is because of political stuff and negotiation, yeah. and we loved that it was a game that was more about politics than yeah. it was about war. But point swapping and like a very friendly, like easy teaming. Uh, atmosphere yeah we feel like didn't get uh we didn't, didn't lead to hardcore enough negotiations yeah. now it sounds like what in your experience dropped out jolnar um is that everything's all super sweet and friendly until r- round five and six and then, and then it gets then vicious like, yeah. right and that is pretty cool like right. that's 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 definitely not um like and i i think for a while we had lots of games that were yeah. that was the general flow of them i'll say this much your um kind of mentality there is what I think feeds into the most king-making opportunities. Yeah. If two people got this huge advantage because they just helped each other, that's going to turn into a king-making situation at the end of the game. And so for us, in a way to preemptively avoid king-making, and the reason probably we don't have that many instances of like pure, uninterrupted king-making is because we're always combating each other, and there aren't that many times where... like multiple players are completely out of it usually we have a pretty decently spread pack with maybe like one person trailing right so yeah and the, and the other thing too is uh in our play groups that kind of behavior earns the ire of every other exactly it's, like it's not a healthy table. way to play um Ottawa pops this is going to feed off that same point Ottawa pops says assume a six player game all players are at zero two of those players swap support for the thrones now four players at zero two players at one the net relative effect is it is as if you had just said let us both agree to dock everyone else at the table one point in relative standings there's a secondary benefit and that it's you will remain peaceful for one of with one of those neighbors allowing resources to be focused on less than peaceful activity elsewhere Elsewhere, an early support for the throne trade helps to incentivize the peace on the border between both parties. As it stands, I view a turn one support for the throne swap as a go-to strategy for every game I go into. I I will never play that way. Yeah, for myself, I just feel like 
even in the way that you structured it at Ottawa Pops, you could easily just say all of those things and end it with, now four players are against the two of us. Like, exactly. like we have the... That, and that's how it would go down. You all just got targets. That's, that's what he nibbles at comments this point was. You now all have targets on your back. Now, for, But the whole point is, for a lot of people, that's just part of the game, is we took this advantage, and with our advantage comes the target of the other players. Right. And so that now you're playing Twilight Imperium, right? right. So right. it's all it's all valid, but for us, strategically speaking, we don't like playing that way. I will say I'm pulling away a little bit from thinking it's bad etiquette in a it's lot of these cases. It's probably not bad etiquette. It's just we don't like that strategy anymore. Uh, Topaz Dragon 5676 says, if you and another player are in an alliance and the other player wins, you lost. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Not only did you lose, but you actively participated in causing yourself to lose. Additionally, if you are in an alliance, especially a non-support for the throne-based one, you should be willing to break that alliance and attack your partner if it will help you win. That is, like, the gist of my perspective. Yeah. Um, This is how I think about alliances. Uh, Promissory notes are goods in exchange for services, and alliances are that service. But at some point... That service will be revoked. I do not look at alliances as permanent things because I do not play the type of game where I'm interested in making my ally the winner if I can't hold on to it. I just, if I'm not going to win, I'm going to try to crush the winner. And if that happened to be the person I had an alliance with, that's a problem. Doesn't matter, the game yeah. we just played the other day, I traded an early ceasefire with the Arborek because they came into my high slice. I paid other people to crush them. We were both going to just fall by the wayside, and we had a conversation that said, if we keep this up, we're doomed. So we traded the ceasefire. And what happened? The game-winning move for me could have only been stopped by Arborek, and Arborek could not activate my systems. Yeah. I won the game because of that ceasefire. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of other reasons I won that game, but for me as a player... If Arborek had won the game and I could have stopped them with my ceasefire, I would be so mad that I didn't remove that ceasefire earlier. Right. Because that alliance led to me losing the game. But in this case, it led to me winning. So I love that the alliance existed, right? It's all a matter of perspective, and and it breaks down depending on what the results are. I think we just view, like, it's like... It's it's exactly like how Topaz Dragon views it. Like if if you come to the game and you already view alliances as not being, like, permanent... Or, like, if, if it really just comes down to, like, oh, like, this isn't really an alliance so much as this is an exchange yeah. of services, uh, it's very hard to create the kind of, like, let's trade VPs sort of atmosphere. Right. And it's a more competitive atmosphere. But yeah. it doesn't have, like, we're not saying that, like, the way we play is right and the way that, that other people play is wrong. It's more about, like, how does how do does this show play the game yeah if you're listening to our podcast we're coming from that perspective so we will rarely describe a strategy in which you i mean we talk about having a buddy right we talk in in these races we are fully a proponent of get an ally the problem for something it's for something (laughs) and the big thing is this is kind of my other counter argument is if you are one of those races that doesn't require an ally if you're a jolnar or hakan you are only hurting yourself by getting an ally because you are making less powerful races more powerful. So if you are Jolnar, Hakan, maybe even Sol, I would never enter into any sort of binding agreement with anybody because you are only weakening your own position. Yeah. Because you can win without it. Right. You can just win by yourself. Right, yeah. When I I played that, probably the best game of Twilight Imperium I played, that Sol game, the entire table was against me for the entire game. Right. It was literally me and five other people just being like, how are we going to get them? Yeah, exactly. 
Uh, hours. Oh, my God. That was crazy. Um, <laughs> Barney Lowe says, it's all about what's going to be most fun for the table to witness. And if I knew... This is uh, kind of talking more about elimination. If I knew my en- enemy wouldn't enjoy the table time, if I really crushed them, I wouldn't do it. I love winning this game, but I love getting the opportunity to play it with friends that get a kick out of even more. Player elimination, especially of the new players who might only be who might be the only ones likely to fall foul of it, does a disservice to those of us who are trying to popularize this game amongst new players. This is a big point that I like. Uh, I think Barney Lowe brought up other things within this discussion, but elimination for some groups is fascinating and fun. And, like, at the right timing, again, like, this is that Clan Asar argument, right? Mm. If you eliminate a Clan Asar player, it's because they were, like, about to win in almost every case. The elimination that happens early game because you just, like, got someone under your thumb and completely snuffed them out a that doesn't happen very often and it's just not fun for the table and you should that's you... probably not good for the eliminator too yeah like that was something i feel like we talked we about. did we did yeah um but all this is to say if your group is a group that is down with elimination then that's a you know that this is the blark knob defense they play every week elimination is not a big deal to them so it just again comes down to group preference almost every group will not like elimination is sort of the big point there <laughs> Yeah, it's just Most not, people don't play enough. It's salty. Yeah. Uh, Live Strong Bellwas, which I've said this on Twilight Imperium subreddit before. You have the best name uh, in Twilight Imperium. I don't Hunter. get it. I don't uh, get it. Uh, Strong Bellwas is a character in the uh, A Song of Ice and Fire books, which is what the Game of Thrones TV series is adapted from. He has some of the greatest moments in the whole series, and they gave all of his moments to Dario Naharis, and Dario Naharis is a lame character, so when Dario Naharis does things that Strong Bellwas was supposed to do, it's lame. So that's why we say, live strong, Strong Bellwas, because you are the better character and you should have been in the show. Ah, okay. So that's Matt's, uh, that, that, thank you for joining us in a podcast within a podcast, Matt's Game of Thrones Zone. Uh, let's <laughs> turn it back to Hunter and Hunter Zarada. Hunter, give us the live strong Bellwas's Matt's Game of Thrones <laughs> Zone. That is... <laughs> Ugh. Icky. All right, well, live strong, Bellwas, or whatever whatever your name is. Uh, so in the kneecapping section, you talk about kneecapping a good player, like Hunter is fair game. I generally agree, but since I am seen as the good player, or the Hunter, okay, watch it, dude, um, in my game group, it often means that there are some early kneecapping attempts made against me. Therein lies my dilemma. I know the game well enough, and I'm adequate at sensing other people's motives. Um, I'm usually able to spot a betrayal or kneecap attempt in the making. I've also seen players gearing up their war fleet on my border, only to signal jam one portion and then preemptively annihilating the other half. Oh, that's great. In my opinion, these actions are not bullying, but fair, if sometimes preemptive, responses to kneecapping attempts against me. So, all this to say, in the kneecapping discussion, kneecapping goes both ways. Right? Yeah, you And that's sort of the argument against kneecapping strategically, more so than etiquette. Etiquette wise, it sucks, but like, if someone kneecaps you, you can probably turn things around on them. This is exactly what happened in our last game. Arborette came in, took some plans from me, and it was going to be a kneecap. Right. I would have been crushed. Right. But I then immediately said, I will pay anybody my support for the throne to go hurt Arborek. Now, the trick there is Ghost was already planning on doing it, but I uh, solidified the fact that they would do it. Ghost went, helped me out. Arborek got then kneecapped enough to where it pulled me back into the game, and that's what led to me winning. So if you want an argument against kneecapping, it's just as simple as you might get crushed way harder because you took an action like yeah, that. Yeah, if the table like comes against you. If yeah. you if you can generally organize a table against one player, it's kind of 
It's not going to yeah, go well. It's not going to go well. Yeah. Um, and this was a fun discussion that kind of brings up Jada Paik, our required uh, mention in every our, episode. Our king. Uh, we are just in <laughs> service to him. <laughs> he has a post on Board Game Geek called The Meta Game List. And I do strongly encourage, this is an older post. It's been there for a while, but I strongly encourage everyone to read it. He breaks down just a ton of metagame terms, things like kneecapping, things like kingmaking, but way more. I mean, there's like 30 terms listed out. I want to do an episode on it with yeah. him. I want to just be like, hey, let's go through your... Let's just break your, it down because it, it is... He, he defined a lot of different types of behaviors and put all of them in the pantheon of like, these are things that will happen in Twilight Imperium and it is up to your group to decide which of these are acceptable and which aren't because they will all happen if you let it go unmentioned. It's super good because like we're kind of getting to a point where I'm like, what are we going to do episodes about? And then John <laughs> Peg does something like that and I'm like, uh... I can do a poop. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so to get more into king making, uh, Becky Rose from Board Game Geek says, if you attack a player in the early game and put them out of contention, and then in late game the player finds themselves in a position to king make, well, you brought it on yourself. And I think this is a good point. Uh, if you had to climb your way to the top by climbing over the corpses of your enemies, don't expect those enemies to fight on your behalf later in the game. If you And this is to say if you crushed someone, not just like, oh, we had a spat and then moved on. When it's like you kneecap the Arborek mm-hmm. and they find their footing later in the game and you're about to win, you can bet they're going to do everything they can to crush you. Sure. There's a lot of dramatic tension in that too, like a yeah. lot, like as yeah. a story that exactly kind of like works that's really an well. important part of the story of that game. Yeah. Um, Aegon07 says my point of view about king making these. Okay, they break down four points here, and I want to say I feel like these four things cover everything there is to say about king making. I think this covers every perspective. It's very succinct. As long as I have a slight chance, I will play for myself. If I really have no chances anymore, and I am in a tournament, I will play considering my points toward the entire tournament. So what is best for me for the tournament? If I have no chance in a friendly game, I will support the one I had the best relationship with towards the game. Imagine yourself in real world. You have the power. You alone choose your next leader for your country. I personally will choose the one I like and trust the most and share the same values with. I approach this the same way in the game. I also consider my reputation towards all future games. If I have an ally, I will kingmake him as it will increase the value of being my ally in the eyes of the other players for the next game and it will make them think twice about betraying me in future games. So, I think this consolidates down into every perspective you could possibly have about kingmaking. Mm -hmm. It's... I'm always looking for the chances to win, and I'm going to try to win, and I'm going to do everything in my power to win. Me. There's, There may not be any chances, but we're playing in some sort of other setting where we're still encouraging people to try to get second place or third place. Doug. Doug. Some people do that. There's also lots of posts that have happened recently where people just say, like, they play in a league, and that is a genuine mechanic that they have implemented into Twilight Imperium. Uh, after we get done with the guides, I want to do a league. Yeah, that would be fun. Uh, the third perspective is... We're just having fun, and it's about the story, and it is about I crushed the person that crushed me, or or whatever. Like, I wanted to become a vassal. Um, this is the one that I think strategic people have the hardest time coping with, but you have to accept that it is a way that some people play this game. Mm-hmm. It's about the story. You play it once a year at, like, your favorite, you know, meetup with all of your I friends. I get that. So I, wanna, I get I that be clear. so hard. Like, I want to be clear. I feel like I maybe came out too strong against this type of thinking in the other episode. And I want to say, especially with that, what you just said, yes. that like we play once a year, I get it. Exactly. And in fact, I think there was a point in time where that was how the game that was worked how for our, me too. Yeah. 
hundred a hundred games back. Yeah. I think that was where I was right. at. Uh, and then the final one, of course, being there's also just the idea of what kind of reputation are you going to hold. And I think this is the problem that I have with king making is um i want to point out something that our fugly ugly clone matt the fat that's a patreon contributor right there uh (laughs) this is something they bring up and and this feeds into my point king making leads to an intense emotional investment in the game even greater than normal because the emotional connections made in the game actually matter suddenly it's not just about winning or playing the best game you can but also a secondary concern who you want to win this is intensely personal which is why it's uh it's a problem in most board games and a fault of the design but why it's perfectly suited to the grand opera of and drama and intrigue of twilight imperium after personally experiencing a loss due to most of the table tearing victory from my hands and to give it to my enemy because i backstabbed and betrayed and lied my way to the top i will tell you the reason i do not play with king making is because i am simply not the man to handle it the pure <laughs> rage as the table gets divided the salt one feels at that loss is the kind of thing that can poison friendships in the real world but if your friendships can handle the strain what a glorious match of impassioned speeches nefarious deceptions enraged assaults powerful coalitions and desperate pleas will you behold if you play with a group that's gonna get all butthurt about your mischievous <laughs> plays king making looks really like dirty and bad but when people focus on the story of the game and are okay with putting some of those things by the wayside if you're playing with a group of good friends that don't actually care the results of the game beyond just like superfluous bragging rights king making becomes an acceptable thing in that circumstance because it's just about the relationships of the players ti is a relationship simulator and it's all part of it so many things it is so many things and that's the problem of trying this is why this task we set ourselves of trying to define these things was so ill-advised because right. you are trying to define people's relationships oh, I don't think it was with other ill-advised. people it was... well i want to do it no matter what but it is it, we were never going to find a solution of course this. of course i'm but uh, honestly a lot of the responses that we've gotten from this uh have been like kind of all over the place we've had some people that i think really like di- really didn't like what we had to yeah. say um and I think that, you know, we're reading right now a lot of disagreement that we had. Sure. But I will say this, across the board, I really I really liked the types of conversations yeah. I've seen happening about this. Is, this has this um, started a lot of discussions about this, and I'm glad it's something that hopefully newer players will look at and consider with their group now beforehand more than they would have previously. I propose something. This is, you don't have to keep this, but this is just something I'm having this idea right now. When we are done with the strategy guides to celebrate, we do a role-playing stream. Absolutely. A game where we are playing. We're only in it for the story. We are role-playing and we are making as grand a story as possible. And we are perhaps not even looking at it like, who can get the most VPs? What kind of plays can we do? No, I want, I want, I'm reading this stuff and I'm being like, I remember what it was like to play like this and I want to again. Yeah, let's finish, let's finish up some of these erratas. Yasaro Rock from the subreddit says, you mentioned trading trade agreements and why you're confused that it's done. I propose the situation in which Soul and Extra are across the table and not normally adjacent, but well disposed towards each other. They can swap trade agreements during the agenda phase and then one of them takes trade and locks everyone else out of trade during the action phase. (laughs) Blarknob followed up. We swap trade agreements all the time. It lets you trade when you have the opportunity before you have the commodities 
This is, I mean, this, this is Space Cats, Peace Turtles 101. Yeah. Me and Matt underestimated yep. a promissory yep. note. And then it, somebody's like, here's how you do that, yeah. you dingus. I would be. And they are so right. <laughs> I would be besmirched if I didn't point out when you guys corrected how we should be using promissory notes. Yep. So there it is. The Sorrow Rock and Block Knob are at it again. They've got it. They did it. They're yeah. right. They're right. They're we right. have no. We have no. Yeah. <laughs> just generally speaking, when we talk about a promissory note in a podcast, just ignore what we have to say. Yeah. And, or and just, tell us what to no, feel about yeah, it. Don't don't ignore it, but tell, but fix it for <laughs> yeah. us. Uh, Barney Lowe says, Our group, from the first time game we played, immediately house-ruled that you couldn't receive your final victory point from another player's support for the throne. I think this is an important thing that a lot of groups should probably like to adopt, mm-hmm. which is you should never just be able to hand someone the victory. Um, this is sort of a rule in other games. I know what, in just like the dumb game Munchkin, you can't win your uh, final point through... I forget what it is. You, oh, you can't play the cards that just give you a level to yeah. win. You have to earn it. And yeah. so that's the same thing here. Is you, can, you should be able to give support for the thrones freely, but it can never be someone at nine gets a support for the throne to win. Yeah. I yeah. love that house rule. Uh, Blizzard Main says, I think the takeaway I get from this whole conversation is this. And, and we're really starting to wrap this up here. Yeah, we're getting close. <laughs> when applied to an established group come up with a way to play the game where it's most fun for you and when someone wins no one feels salty or that victory feels unearned i'll say this much salt is fine because i'm the saltiest person on the planet and i will scream at people but the under the unearned part is important right um i i actually really like uh the attitude of this post that this makes the most sense this is a very like just good human way to look at twilight imperium uh yeah i mean i think me and Matt come with us. Like, if you invite me and Matt yeah. over to play, you are asking a certain for amount some of trouble. Salt. <laughs> like, we, we carry some salt in little bags yeah. for the game. And I think we've talked about this before, but I feel like Twilight Imperium is a way for us to, in a healthy way, get that out. Get that salt out. Because otherwise, it comes out in our regular life more. And that's. That becomes dangerous. Yeah. That... We wouldn't have this podcast if Hunter and I. I mean, we wouldn't have this podcast if we didn't play Twilight Imperium because we wouldn't be playing Twilight Imperium. So we wouldn't be able to talk about this subject but also <laughs> we wouldn't be able to say? stand each other if we didn't get this stuff out of our system yeah this is this is the way to exercise that and because the thing is like no matter how so like earlier someone what one of these errata posts was talking about how you know people can get salty and friendships can get strained uh me and matt uh have gotten so so salty in games of twilight imperium that other people have been like what is going yeah. on with these two yeah we made it uncomfortable and, for them and then like which is bad and then the sense of relief though like have you ever felt that like when we get done with a game and it's over now mm. and like we were really salty towards each other but there's this kind of like it feels good like i don't know like not to get too philosophical here and we're when, when we're trying to just like in this yeah, episode right but like you know, everyone experiences, like, anger and, like, negative emotions, and I think one of the tricky things about being a human being is finding, like, a healthy place yep. to, like, get those things out there. You have no idea, dear listener, how much I have struggled with that in the history of yeah. my gaming career. Yeah. I was a controller thrower in the days of Smash Brothers Melee and Halo and Halo 2. I, I was um, bad. I, mm-hmm. I was... A host of many lands and people wanted to show up to the lands because they wanted to play the game but they did not want to play the game with me <laughs> because i was not fun to play with because i would get real mad uh and that carries over into twilight imperium but that's that's sort of like what i've learned over the years is like figuring out how to how to keep that at bay let's let's do our final let's errata. finish the one and this is building off this same point and it's just to say like adapt yourself to your play group right nim Rafael says 
our games are much, much better and fun now. This is after kind of a much longer post describing where they eventually, they, they had a king-making scenario, and the majority of their table said, if the two of you are ever going to do this again, we can't play this game with you. It's just not going to work. And we've done this before, too. We have a friend named Barrett who we don't invite to games of Twilight Imperium anymore. <laughs> we love Barrett, but we're not going to play this board game with him because he ruins it. He doesn't uh, listen, don't he worry. He doesn't listen, to, don't worry. Um, the mind games, the strategies, the backstabbing, and ad hoc alliances, the competitive race, everything went to a different level once they established this with these two players. Um, all for the better. Interestingly, it also became a lot more fun socially. Everybody has since been on the same page, and for years we haven't faced scenarios like you described where someone ruins the game by making idiotic decisions or indecisions. The idea being they as a group of friends established some of the ground rules for what they wanted out of Games of Twilight Imperium and were able to come to an agreement on what that was, and everyone is better for it, and that's what all of us need to do. If you're going to play this game with strangers... It is a dangerous game to play with strangers, and you should come at it saying, hey, this is the kind of player I am. This is kind of what maybe some of my expectations are. What? How do you all play, and what can I expect out of this game? Because if you go into it as a diehard strategy person, and you're playing with a group of, like, four willy-nilly role players, you two aren't... You, you people are not compatible with each other, and you're not going to have a good time. Right. And you just need to be able to establish those kinds of things in a non-judgmental way. From the from the get-go. Some people want to play it highly strategic. Some people want to play it highly thematic. And you just need to figure out where the balance is. I think we've gotten more strategic in doing the podcast. I want we to have. say that. Like, and, it's, and it's mostly because of the way that we've structured it and the things that we've gone after. But I'm, I'm really excited to finish up the strategy part yeah. and maybe get back to a more thematic place with yeah, it. Absolutely. Um, and then we'll get tired of that. Right. Uh, and we'll go back to pure strategy. Uh, not that we're pure strategy. Let's do the rundown. Right. I, I'm, we're, we're getting to a point where we're starting to structure this better. So this is my first yeah. attempt at like, go to our Twitter at SpaceCatsPod if you want game updates and announcements about the show and upcoming videos. Go to Facebook, uh, Space Cats Peace Turtles for other announcements, as well as you can message us. And a lot of times I'm there and I'll respond to questions. I try to respond to all of them. I don't always hit all of them. But if you ask again, I'll probably see it again. Uh, the Twilight Imperium subreddit is where you can go for episode posts and to engage in the ongoing discussion about that episode. It's definitely Ooh. the best place for discussion. And then have we talked about that new banner that they have that's They really have a good? beautiful new banner, it's and really I'm a big good. fan. Uh, to, the, the Twilight Imperium subreddit is really, like, coming into its own again. There was a big kind of dead period with TI3 because there was, like... 15 of us hanging out there regularly and right. now it's really starting to expand and it's great uh go to our board game geek guild for some some more discussion as well as the calendar of upcoming episodes you can email us your submissions for this imperium life and play of the week we have a patreon where you can contribute and you can help make our podcast better by uh engaging in discussions about upcoming episodes we have a discord for fun conversations as well as those patreon benefits the way to converse with us as a patron is to join our discord and join the separate channels that we have separated off for you we would love it if you would rate our uh, podcast on apple Podcasts, itunes wherever else it can be rated but those are the two like way big ones and ratings matter very much so it increases visibility about this game that we love, and it increases visibility about this podcast. So we would appreciate a, a good rating on iTunes. Um, 
Also, there is a, another, just a podcast recommendation we want to throw yes. at you. There is a Twilight Imperium role-playing game yes. uh, podcast. Well, sorry, it's for, from, I think they're playing Genesis, they're right? Pl- well, they're actually not even playing Genesis. They're playing Edge of the Empire because it was, bef- right. I think they started it before Genesis came out, maybe. Mm-hmm. Re- regardless, they're using effectively the same system, but they're playing a game set in the Twilight Imperium universe. and oh, It's called Twilight Imperium Renegades, mm-hmm. and you should check it out. Yeah, that, that's some free promotion, but I just started listening to it today. They did a post on the subreddit the other day, and it's given them some more hits, and it's kind of put it back in visibility. But when we first started our podcast, they started at the same time as we did. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking for a backlog of Twilight Imperium-related stuff, there's 20-plus episodes of this group of people playing a weekly game of Twilight Imperium-themed role-playing so get in there and listen to them uh i I even propose we start a podcast club sort of like a book club we can either do that uh, if the ti renegades people are listening to this tell us where you want us to go and we'll talk about it or i'll start a discord channel on our discord and you can get in there with us and we can talk about your episodes as we listen to them twilight imperium podcast unite yes let's do it and to put to to put more emphasis on that there's also uh these guys called zorpazorp and they do a video podcast where they run through a game they've got a time lapse running of a previous game they played and they walk you through all their decision making it's really the first idea we had with stuff we want to do with twilight imperium and instead we started this podcast so they're getting uh the jump on that way more interesting idea which is break down one game and just explore everything there is to explore about it and we love it it's great and i want to say one more thing before we get to the play of the week this week uh i want to i want to thank two patreoners (laughs) haha two patreoners uh the first one is captain scott and the second is mike raleigh thank you both so so very very much um anytime that anyone gives to our patreon you are helping us get closer to the gen con mm-hmm. video uh that we'll be doing about uh block knobs tournament uh which will be in august and that is going to be yeah. insane it's gonna be a huge a huge thing for us to to try to take on and we're very excited to do it play the week time. i want to read it you yeah. got to read the last two so this okay. week is by regular contributor chocolax here i'll read it no <laughs> just kidding <clears throat> It's the agenda phase in round five. I'm Soul at five victory points. Letnev is at eight. There's four other players. Whatever. My neighbors are the Barony and Necro, and I am under pressure. Barony was kind of an ally, but those pseudo-aristocrats showed no honor at all as they misused my childish trust and took two systems from me while I was desperately trying to cope with a suddenly over-aggressive Necro who had hit me hard during the last two rounds since he adapted the game to the Necro playstyle. I'm holding on to my home system, Mechatol, and two more systems. All but my home system is shipless, but really heavily stacked with Spec Ops 2. The second agenda shows up. Swords for Plowshares. Four. Each player destroys half of his infantry on each planet he controls rounded up. Then, each player gains trade goods equal to the number of his infantry that were destroyed. Against... Each player places one infantry from his reinforcements on each planet he controls. Everybody is eyeing me. Obviously, Sol will not be willing to lose half of his infantry, and so his insurance to stay in the game, since I am hard-pressed with a big Letnev force seemingly aiming at Mechatol. Necro predicts against. Three others get greedy and play variations of the Rider action card, also all against. Mentak and me are the only ones left to vote. I have 11 influence left. He sold all of his votes to Creus during the first agenda, so I am the one to choose. My choice 
is four. No one gets their rider bonuses. My losses number up to 19 infantry. The next one in line is Necro with seven. So, for the 19 destroyed infantry units, I collect 19 trade goods. Then, thanks to Spec Ops 2, I get to roll for each unit destroyed. I manage to regain 13 infantry. So a total of 19 trade goods for 6 infantry lost. So with me picking Imperial and those trade goods, I'm able to achieve the so far unaccomplished Stage 2 public objectives. With me controlling Mechatol, I gain 5 victory points, and I win the game! At least... I could have won the game. The Barony scores unveil flagship during the action phase and grabs a planet from the Nalu that recently became the holy planet of Ix, and boom, ends all of my dreams to notch my second victory in my gaming table's leg. Boo, Barony! I, I honestly wish that the player had lied and just said that that won them the game because that is the craziest it's agenda amazing phase. amazing agenda. Yeah. Just goes to show you, don't throw all your writers out there so yeah. fast. And don't we make assumptions on, like... The second they read the thing, I was like, this is good for Soul. Yeah, exactly. This yeah. Is, this the, the, the caveat that I kind of edited out is there were like three newer players in that game. Ah. So they probably didn't think about all the interactions that were going to happen there. But yeah, what a what a devastating a loss for everybody agenda. but Soul. We will see you next week with a Winu strategy guide. Oh, wow, you're committing I'm calling hard. it. I'm committing. I'm not letting myself think about Winu anymore. I'm sick of them. All right, well, good luck. I mean... I'm not going to help. Thank you for listening to Space Cat's Peace Turtles. And thanks to Ben Prunty for the use of his music. You can find more at benpruntymusic.com and benprunty.bandcamp.com. Pax Magnifica Bellum Gloriosum. Pizza, 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 pizza,